0: Good morning. Um, I'm going to pray for Sarah, and she's going to get started. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Sarah and for all the time that she has put into preparing for today, Lord. And I just pray that you would bring a calmness over her heart, Lord, and uh, bring clarity to her words so that we can um, hear the message that you have for us, Lord, and that you would just open our hearts and our minds to absorb it, um, to hear your word, to hear your truth. Mm -hmm. to hear about your great goodness and love for us, Lord. Mm -hmm. And I pray for the children and the women downstairs that you would just give them um, safety and health and that um, those children would feel loved uh, by the women that are down there with them, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, for how much you love us. And um, it's so evident in how you've put your word together for us to know more about you Mm -hmm. and um, to understand what it is that you... Hope for us and dream for us and have for us, Lord. So I just pray, Father, that you can um, be glorified in in our time together this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: All right, here's the test. Kind of a weird caller today. Can you hear me? Is it reaching the back? Not quite. A little more. Test, test, testing. Can you hear me? <clears throat> oh, it's a little ringy. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll try to talk loud. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so good morning, friends. It's still a little ringy, isn't it? I'm sorry. Um, well, we are in Second Samuel 18 this morning, and these have been some hard passages these last few weeks, and I'm sorry to say that this is another hard one. Um, In good news, David's kingship is secured, but in bad news, his son Absalom meets a tragic end. So we're going to cover some hard things today. Um, There's a lot in this chapter. So in an attempt to organize our time, I've uh, outlined four uh, sections to the chapter. So uh, first, an irrational request, a fatal pride, a disjointed report, and a guilty grief. An irrational request a fatal pride, a disjointed report, and a guilty grief. So Absalom's defiant pursuit of David is kind of coming to a head today. So as we start this passage, um, all of David's men are ready to march out into battle, and they've asked David to remain behind because their thinking is, well, if he dies, the whole point of our fighting is over, and, and that thus ends the kingship and the war, so they asked him to stay behind. Um, so he's giving support from the city, and instead he put three commanders over uh, three different companies, if you will, of the of the soldiers, Joab, Ittai, and Abishai, Joab's brother. And as the troops are ready to march out, David gives kind of this odd and really irrational request, really a command uh, to all of his commanders, and he says it in front of everyone. The text makes a point to say, so everyone heard. He says, for my sake... Be gentle with my son, Absalom. Well, you can imagine a little confusion. The soldiers are like, you know, isn't Absalom the whole problem here? Like, isn't this the whole reason we're going to war? Um, and yet, that's he says, be gentle. Um, as Dale Ralph Davis says, this request would make sense if Absalom were going to therapy.
0: <laughs>
1: but he's going to war. I thought that was very appropriate. <laughs> So these are the last words that these these troops hear before they march out. Um, so as you can imagine, there's going to need to be a decision made today. Uh, so just a little insight into the forest of Ephraim where the battle is fought. Uh, this is a treacherous area to fight in. In fact, the text says uh, that the forest devoured more people that day than the sword, which is saying something. Uh, so this is, uh, we're talking like a densely wooded, landscape, very hard to get your bearings. In fact, this is kind of a detriment to Absalom's men who are untrained. So Absalom has the larger army, but they are not very trained. David has the smaller army, but it's to their advantage to be fighting on multiple fronts in this, in this forest because they're, this is, these are more conditions that they would be used to. Um, so I mentioned this mangled forest because this is where Absalom's ego meets its match. And I've called this section a fatal pride um so let's let's remember where we've come with Absalom to this point. So he has successfully made himself the poster boy for Israel. uh He's handsome, he has awesome hair, he's winsome, he's a people person, a politician candidating for his kingship, uh smearing his father's name uh even even to the point of sleeping with his father's concubines for all the world to see. Um, And if this is not enough to convince us that Absalom thinks very highly of himself, in this chapter, we're told that he actually makes a monument in his name. Um, He wants to be remembered. His three sons had died before him, and this is his way to make sure that his name is remembered. Um, So the bottom line here is that Absalom is not out for anyone else's glory but his own. And the scary part about this is not only is Absalom opposing David, but Absalom is opposing and rebelling against God. And that's a dangerous place to be. As Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we're gonna see these verses play out uh, as we read further. So as Absalom's men fight on foot, Absalom's riding, riding mounted on his mule through this forest. And this is interesting enough in itself. I mean, David stayed behind for the sole purpose of not getting killed. So it's interesting that he's here in, in the forest. But um, the, uh, oh, I lost my spot. Oh, there we go. So he, get, he gets stuck. He gets stuck. His, it says his head gets stuck in a large oak tree. And even some Bible versions say his hair gets stuck, which I thought was so ironic. Like, here's this iconic symbol of his power that he probably didn't cut for war, as he should have, because maybe he's saving it for, you know, when he's crowned king and the ladies, right? The ladies. (laughs) Ah, And here his precious hair, his head, gets stuck in an oak tree. So his mule keeps running, leaving him hanging there, unable to escape. So we're going to read uh, these next five verses, verses 10 through 15, uh, when when one of David's men finds him. <clears throat> so verse 10, and a certain man saw it, saw Absalom, and told Joab, Hey, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Now, just a, to pause here, this word hanging Uh, interestingly, is the same word used only once in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy 21, 23, when it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And we're going to see this theme of cursing in Absalom's death as we keep reading. So Joab said to the man who told him, what? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him to the ground? I would have been glad to give you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. So it makes you wonder, was this a surprise? Was, was this a reward promoted behind David's back for the death of Absalom? We don't know. But the man said to Joab, even if I had felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Other versions say you would have kept your distance from me. You wouldn't have come to my rescue. So it doesn't sound like this soldier really has much trust that Joab would be loyal to him or defend him. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak And though that would have been enough to kill him, 10 young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. And some commentators think that perhaps this um, was so the act could not solely be pinned on Absalom. So what are we supposed to make of this? On the one hand, Joab completely defied orders, David's orders. On the other hand, he secured the kingship and saved many lives. And the answer is we don't have commentary. The Bible does not comment on the rightness or the wrongness of Joab's actions. Um, But uh, we do know that God sovereignly used this to secure David's David's kingship. Um, Davis says, David would treat cancer with candy. Joab knew it required surgery. And as Alistair Begg says, God is at work within the, the acts of personal freedom. So Right or wrong, the Lord worked through through this act by Joab. So verse 17 says, And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And again, this is symbolic of someone who is a curse, this, this type of burial with stones. Other enemies of God who were buried with a pile of stones is Achan, uh, Joshua 7, the king of Ai and Joshua 8, Uh, the five kings of the Amorites in Joshua 10. And these were all men whose hearts were defiant against God. They were cursed because they did not turn to God in repentance and faith. And the crazy part is, is it didn't have to be this way for Absalom. There was a way out for him. Uh, He could have turned to God at any point. What if he had made that choice? What if like his father in Psalm 51, he had said, oh, Lord, created me a clean heart, oh God, I've sinned, I'm wrong, I mean, the results would have been so different, he could have been a huge instrument of God's peace, ironically, he would have still followed in his father's footsteps, and been king, when when he was passed, but he was not willing to submit himself to God's timing, or his authority, his heart was defiant against God, and he was seeking only a name for himself, now, before we're too quick to point the finger at Absalom, aren't we all inclined to make a name for ourselves? I was really convicted by this. Um, aren't we re- we inclined to resist any authority but our own? Our hearts naturally bend toward defiance against God. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Isaiah 53 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We all deserve God's curse. That's the sobering truth of this is we all deserve God's curse because our hearts naturally are defiant against him. The rest of Isaiah 53 6 gives us our only hope. It says, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus the iniquity, the wickedness, the wrongdoing, the arrogance, the pride of us all. Jesus took God's wrath. He took God's curse for us on the cross. First John nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The only time we are without hope is when we choose to go our own way away from God. And sadly, that was Absalom's choice. So ironically, the monument that Absalom set up for himself is now eclipsed by this unmarked, nondescript, very great heap of stones in this mangled forest. May we learn from Absalom's demise and turn quickly to God in repentance and faith. So we're going to breeze through this next part, It's, 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 but it's worth noting. I call it a disjointed report because essentially David hears this news from two different messengers, one from Ahimaz, if you remember him from chapter 17. He was David's loyal messenger who spared his life by bringing him the message of danger approaching, um, and he really wanted to take this message to David. Uh, but also David heard from an unnamed Cushite, a foreigner, and Joab sends this Cushite out running. His his thought is he's trying to spare Ahimaz from the, the wrath or anger uh, that could potentially come from David when he hears of the death of his son. So he sends a Kushite out running, but Ahimaz is insistent and he just keeps asking, please let me take this message. So Joe's like, I don't know why you want to take this message, but you are welcome to take this message. So he sends, sets out running. He takes the lower planes, which is a, a, the more easier route, and he actually outruns the Kushite and gets to David first. However, um, he does not give David the full story. Uh, He tells David the good news that his kingdom is safe, but when asked about Absalom, he kind of hedges and says, there was a lot of confusion. I didn't really see what happened. So it's a good thing that the Cushite was hot on his, his heels because he gave him the whole story. He said, the Lord has delivered you from your enemies. And when asked about Absalom, he said, very tactfully, I might add, may the enemies of my Lord, the king and all who rise up against you be like that young man. Well, as you can imagine, David responds in grief. Um, And the author wants us to see David's reaction. He could have just simply said David was grieved and kept moving. But he goes into great detail about David's mourning. Um, He says, some versions say the king was deeply moved. Uh, He was shaken. He trembled. And he wails the words, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, we would expect grief from a parent at the death of, of a child, of any parent at the death of a child. But knowing David's backstory, we can fill in the layers to his grief. And from his words, if only I had died instead of you, we can, we can see that there's, there's some guilt fueling his grief. And as Dale Ralph Davis says, David knew that his sin had set the sword loose in his household, and the consequences of his sin are playing out in the death of Absalom. This is one more repercussion. And perhaps this was even the reason for David's irrational request, for my sake, be gentle with my son Absalom. Now, to be clear, we've already talked about this. Absalom is is still accountable for his actions. But here we're getting a glimpse of David's uh, response, his, his heart. Um, so it's interesting. A few weeks ago, as I was studying this section, um, I was giving my 15-year-old son a haircut, which has become the norm since the pandemic. Uh, and it's gone pretty well to this point, except this time uh, I went back to fix a spot, famous last words, And I forgot to put the guard on the electric clippers. And I left a huge white patch, like three inch patch on the back top of his head. And so, you know, it was just this little, and i immediately, I was like, Oh, you know, you just know that this poor kid has to live with this. I mean, we even we tried every option. I'm thinking, could we make this into an eagle symbol? Like, is there like, I don't, I'm not that creative. (laughs) I don't do that. Um, But apart from shaving his whole head, this poor kid was going to have to wait, you know, for three weeks or so till this all grew out. And I knew that because of my mistake. He was going to have to go and face his merciless peers that have made fun of him for other much less things, you know. Um, and I said, it was, it was honestly, it sounds simple, but it was such a tumultuous few weeks. I felt so bad. And I said to Anthony, my husband, several times over those weeks, I said, I wish this had happened to me. Like, I wish he didn't have to pay the price for my mistake. I wish he didn't have to feel those consequences. And it just was this simple little example of how David must have felt. And it got me thinking, don't we all have our guilty griefs just like David? I mean, apart from a a simple hair snafu that is going to grow out in a few weeks, we all have our own guilty griefs that we live with where our sin has splashed on other people where it's been passed down to our kids or even splashed on our friends, um, those that we love and care about. Um, I, I got off track. I've, I've got to find where, where I am. Um, and we all have our, our if-onlys, kind of what David said. If only I had died instead of him. If only I could pay the price for the bad haircut. If only whatever, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of these guilty griefs run deep. They're not simple hair snafus. Um, Guilty grief is part of the human experience. And yet, thanks be to God, he does not leave us alone, even in our repercussions of sin. And I want us to see that here with David, that God is with David in his grief. He has not left David's family. In fact, if you remember, in future generations, He will bring the Savior of the world through his family line. He has not forgotten David. So this is a tension that we live with in this life. We will feel the consequences of our sins, and yet God's mercies are new every morning. And he can use even the worst of our mistakes for his purposes, his good purposes. So this brings up another question that I want to briefly address, and I've heard some of you ask, so I thought this would be a good place to address this. Is judgment for a father's sin passed down through the generations? As you can imagine, there's a lot that could be said here. So we are just going to scratch the surface. Um, And after this class today, I'm going to email you three articles that will will help uh, to dig in a little further. So if you wanted some more information. Um, so the Bible speaks both of individual judgment and generational judgment, so both are, are valid points in Scripture. Just to give a reference point for individual judgment in Ezekiel 18:20, it says, "The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall, uh, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself." So everyone is accountable for their own actions. And then generational judgment is referenced in Exodus 25 uh, verses 5 and 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So based on the whole of scripture, we know that three things are true here. First, the repercussions of a father's sin most certainly flow down through generations, and we've all experienced that, even in our own family lines. We do not sin in a vacuum, so our sin will affect our children. It will affect those after us. Patterns of sin can be passed down through family lines, um, and children will feel consequences for the effects of a parent's sin. And yet, number two, each of us is accountable for our own individual action actions we have the ability to make our own choices uh, and we feel repercussions for our own sin and number three over all of this whether individual or generational sin God's grace and mercy is greater and he has made a way out of the judgment Um, he has made a way of escape through repentance and faith in Jesus Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace, God's grace, abounded all the more. So just to give another example of generational sin, the broadest example that we see in Scripture is Adam's original sin in Genesis 3. We all feel the repercussions of him eating that fruit that was forbidden. There is death. Work is hard. Child-rearing and bearing is hard. There are strained relationships. The, the list could go on. We feel many repercussions of Adam's sin. And yet, God did not leave us alone to suffer these consequences by ourselves. He sent away out of the judgment. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.19 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So as Kyle Dillon um, summarizes well, he says, While we have all inherited Adam's guilt, and while we all have a natural tendency to walk in the sinful patterns of our parents, God has graciously promised not to deal with us according to their faults, provided that we turn from their rebellion and turn to Christ. In confessing our sins, both personal and corporate, we can have confidence that we will be covered not with the iniquity of our fathers, but with the righteousness of Jesus. So the bottom line is we cannot take back the wrongs that we've done, but we can confess them. We can receive forgiveness for them, we can move on from them, and we can trust that God will redeem even the worst in us, and will use even the worst of us (laughs) that's splashed onto others for his good purposes. So here, as I promised, are these articles. I'm going to read them just for the people online who may not get my email. Um, The first article is, Are We Held Accountable for the Sins of Our Forefathers by Kyle Dillon, with the Gospel Coalition. Uh, The second one is, Does God Punish Sons for the Sins of Their Fathers? by Wyatt Graham. Uh, He's also with the Gospel Coalition. And finally, Does God Visit the Sins of the Fathers on the Children? by John Piper and Desiring God. Again, I'll email them all to you. So, Um, Yeah, so this chapter ends with a paradox. A safe kingdom, a sad king, as Dale Ralph Davis puts it so well. David sheds tears over his own guilt and his own grief, but his imperfection is pointing us ahead to a perfect King Jesus who will come to bear not his own guilt, but our guilt. He carries our griefs. He's overcome our sin, and we can rest in that today. So just by final application, some questions that I've been asking myself as I've studied this passage um, where am I resisting God's authority? Absalom was a good wake-up call for me to analyze my own heart. Uh, where am I trying to make a name for myself? Where, is, is, where am I trying to coddle my pride? Um, where am I setting up my own kingdom against God's? And secondly, where do I go with my guilty griefs that we all have? Um, can I encourage you, please don't stuff them. That's my tendency. Um, Run to Jesus. Run to a friend. I had to call a friend this week with fears and anxieties, and it was such a relief to just confess to her these things and and let her pray with me and read scripture with me. And that's the beauty of this group. That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we have each other. We can reach out and confess these things to each other. Um, Now, if you're like me, it's easy to wallow in your guilt. It's easy to resist God's mercy, to resist his grace, because you don't feel worthy. You want to try to pay for it. You want to try to make up for it. And I have found in my own life that that is actually my pride. That is my pride, like Absalom, setting itself up against God. I want to do this myself. I want to make things right. I want to be okay on my own, and I'm not. And that's the whole gospel. We are not okay. (laughs) We need someone to heal our guilty griefs. His forgiveness is a gift, and we will never be deserving. So instead, four R's uh, that we can end with today. Run, release, and rest. Run to Jesus, who has paid for it all. Release your shame, your guilt, and turn from your sin, whether personal or generational, and rest in his forgiveness bought for you on the cross. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Lord, I was just listening to a song this morning uh, that had the lyrics, my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to Jesus again and again and again. And Lord, that's what we do. Sorry. We run to you because you love us. And we don't know... How how you could love us so much to send Jesus, and yet you did, and he's our only hope. And so, God, forgive us for our pride when we resist him. Uh, forgive us for not wanting to run to you, but thank you for your mercy. God, you're always there. You're never, you're never turning against us when we come to you. So we love you for that. We worship you for that. And we are so grateful, even for these hard passages, Lord, uh, that, that really help us to face these ugly things in our own lives. So we go with us now as we go to our groups. Lord, help us to have a helpful discussion, uh, lead our time together. And Lord, as a result, please draw us closer to you. Make us look more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.